Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. The reading is from 1 Peter 2, sorry, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 13. Born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, ha- you do not know him, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what the person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to sit at your feet to hear what you want to say to us. We pray for Andres as he speaks, that you speak through him, Holy Spirit, that you will cause your word to unravel what you have in mind for us, oh God. Indeed, as you say, the angels looked on wanting to understand this, so give us a revelation. Cause the Holy Spirit to just flow so beautifully in and through Andres and to everyone listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, church. If you don't know me, my name is Andres. I am from Spain, and I am a member of this wonderful church family. And this morning, I thank God for three things. The first one is that this is his house, and we are in his presence. So since you step through those doors, you could be expectant that there would be something good for you coming from him. The second one is that we have the most wonderful reason to hope in Jesus. 
And the third one is that God's ways, regardless of when we are in grieving or in celebration, are always perfect, always true, and always best. Having said that, today's message is going to be all about the new identity that we have been given by God as his children and as exiles for those that trust in Jesus as their Savior. So it's about that new identity and how to live in a consistent and true way with that identity that we have been gifted by God. And before we continue, we're going to be watching a video. And this video is called the Marshmallow Test. Probably some of you have already watched it in the past. In this very famous psychological test, we can see some kids wrestling with the waiting to eat one marshmallow in the hopes of getting a bigger prize. <laughs> so let's watch it. Okay, so that's your... All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. <laughs> How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. 
You need him. <laughs> I love this video. It was a real challenge for these kids. They really wanted to eat the tempting marshmallow, so it was not easy for them to wait for the bigger, better, whooping reward of two marshmallows. And why I love so much this video is because, because it reveals so much about our nature. We are these kids too. God has promised for us that we have a perfect future and salvation with him for eternity. But God has also made it very clear that we are going to be facing marshmallows in this life. Our marshmallows are the temptations, the difficulties, the losses, the disappointments, the sufferings that we all go through life. So the key question for these kids, but also for you and I is, what will you do? Are you going to eat the marshmallow despite being told by God that there is something better for you? Or are you going to trust that he is true to his word and that he has the perfect reward for you in heaven? We're going to see this from scripture in a moment, but the reality is that we all would fail the marshmallow test. Adam and Eve did not pass the test in the Garden of Eden. And since then, no humans have passed the test either, with only one exception, and his name was Jesus, giving all of us a reason to hope. For the rest of us, we all are impatient with God. We all forget or do not trust God's promises. And we all struggle to do what God calls us to do, and even more so when we are facing pain or suffering and when we need to sacrifice things. This is why Peter, in this passage, wanted to remind us, and this is what we are going to be doing in this message, of two key things. That we really have the most wonderful reason to hope in Jesus, but also that we must prepare our minds to live in a true way that is consistent with that hope and that identity that we have been given by God as his children and as exiles. So before I continue, I'm going to pray so that God will be in control of this time. Father, we thank you that you are in control of history and you're in control of the timings as well. There is no one that is here today that you have not appointed to be here in this moment, Lord. So Father, I pray that you will use this time to speak to our minds and to our hearts so that they will align more to yours, Lord. And Father, I pray that also you will do a miracle in our minds so that we will be able to see suffering in the way that you do, Lord, and trust your perspective and your ways on everything. In Jesus' pray, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Peter, in verse 13, is calling us to set our hope fully. And I think we should be asking ourselves, where does our hope come from and what are we supposed to hope in and for? And the first question, where does our hope come from, is answered in verse 3, which says, which, yes, which says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And God's great mercy is that he knows that we are going to be failing the marshmallow test. That we are enslaved by the power of sin that is 
leading us into eternal suffering and death, but in God's mercy, he offers to set you free from that power of sin. God's mercy, in other words, is that if you put your trust in Jesus, he replaces your eternal suffering and death with eternal salvation and joy. And that sounds to me way, way better than two marshmallows. And everyone that accepts God's great mercy is resurrected again with Jesus. Believing this promise of salvation in Jesus is what Peter says that causes us to be born again to a living hope. And I want to highlight something here, which is that when you put your trust in Jesus, two things happen. You gain a secure foundation about the future. You have certainty about the future, but also you have a new identity that you can enjoy today as children of God and as exile. When you put your trust in Jesus, you automatically become God's child. You gain a family of brothers and sisters. And take a moment and look to your left and to your right to see a great sample, very diverse sample of God's family. You stop being alone. You are never alone anymore. But also, when you put your trust in Jesus, you become an exile, which means that you are in this world, but you are not in this world because you now belong to God and his eternal family and his eternal kingdom. Therefore, where our hope comes from is from God's great mercy and the salvation that we have in Jesus. And what are we supposed to hope in and for is in verse 13, where Peter says that we are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is, let's look closely at those words because Peter is saying that this grace is yet to happen. It's a salvation that is to come in the future, that is linked to Jesus' second coming. And I think it's worth here stopping for a moment and clarifying the concept of salvation. What Jesus has done for you and I on the cross, dying for our sins in our place, is past salvation. But Jesus is right now also saving you. In verse 5, we see that God is guarding us, shielding us in his power through our faith. So that is present salvation. But what is more, Jesus also promises that he will be coming a second time and he will do so in glory. And he promises to share that glory with those that trust in him. Revelation 21.4 promises, this is God's promise, that he will wipe every tear from your eyes. There will be no more mourning, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. God promises that all that is broken today, all that feels painful today, will be well in the future when Jesus returns. And that is our future salvation. Therefore, in Jesus, we are offered past, present, and future salvation. And Peter's whole point is that we have been given, thanks to Jesus dying for us on the cross, this great mercy. But also Jesus is saving us right now, and we, he's promising us that we have a perfect future with him. But we must prepare today, right now, our minds to trust in this perfect future. Because what we think about the future, largely, 
changes what we do today. And our default position and what society trains us to do is to put our hope, our trust in things such as money, sex, personal development, technology, chat GPT, you name it. When you put your trust and your hope in those things over God, that's when you end up eating the marshmallow when you should not. Instead, we, children of God, what we hope, what we trust is that God has been faithful yesterday, he's faithful right now, and he will always be faithful. But what is more, God is faithful to himself and his character and his good plans for you and I. And if you have not received and embraced this great mercy from God, this salvation that Jesus offers you, that covers all sins, that gives strength today in all circumstances, and that is the ultimate security for your future, then please know that Jesus is alive today and is opening the door of hope for you right now. Let's move on and let's continue by seeing the preparing our minds for action that Peter highlights in verse 13. Peter knows that we act based on what is in our minds. And a good example of this is baptism. It could be that a believer sees baptism as something optional and not relevant until they learn to trust God more and they read in the Bible that God says that baptism is a command but it's also a public declaration that symbolizes a new life in Jesus, in Christ. So this believer that was seeing baptism as optional and not being baptized moves to desiring to get baptized and indeed getting baptized. And we had wonderful examples of this in this church recently, so praise God for that. And by the way, if you are not baptized yet, can I encourage you to read what God says in his word about baptism? I really believe that what you will find is that God wants baptism for you, but also that he says is good for you. And the point I'm making with this example is that in order for us to see what God sees and to do what he declares as good for us, we first must prepare our minds to then act in a way that is consistent with his ways. That's why Peter is exhorting us to prepare our minds for action, because he knows that God's ways are always perfect, always true, and always best. But also Peter knows that our ways are limited, and speaking in a blunt way, wrong. Let's read in Isaiah 55 what God says to all of us this morning about this. God is saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's design, perspective, and definition of things is perfect, true, and best than anything else. We don't see things like God does. We are in desperate need of seeking God to see his perspective on things. And mainly, when in suffering, we need his bigger, eternal perspective. We must confess, repent, and thank God 
that his ways are higher than our ways. But we're not alone. Peter was also in desperate need of recognizing that Jesus' ways were higher than his ways. Halfway through his ministry, Jesus explained to Peter, but also to the other disciples, that he had to die on the cross for him to accomplish the mission that God the Father had given to him. And Peter was shocked. He didn't like this idea of Jesus dying on the cross. So this is how he reacted. Peter said to Jesus, well, Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And this was Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus turned and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That was tough, but I believe that Peter and us, we need to hear that. Peter was understanding only half of the gospel because he was being Jesus-centered, but not cross-centered. And what I mean by this is that Peter had a really positive, a high view of Jesus. Peter really wanted to follow Jesus and be with him. The problem is that Peter wanted to follow a Jesus that avoids, not embraces the cross. Peter wanted Jesus to achieve victory in Peter's ways, not God's ways. And I want to manage your expectations, church. Following Jesus means following Jesus. Wherever he chooses to go. And where does Jesus go? Jesus goes and embraces the cross. A cross that meant pain and suffering and his innocent blood being shed for our sins. And this same Jesus is saying that whoever wants to be his disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. So following Jesus, brothers and sisters, involves suffering, sacrifice, mocking from others, society not liking or understanding us, perhaps even our own family opposing us. Following Jesus is suffering, but following Jesus is also glory with him. The cross was God's plan, a perfect plan of perfect love that led to perfect salvation and perfect glory. We thank, we thank God for the cross and the suffering of Jesus because it achieved something that you and I could never have achieved by our own strength, which is the salvation of our souls and eternal joy with him for eternity. This is why Jesus voluntarily embraced the cross because he knew his father and the goodness of his father's plans. So the cross meant for Jesus and for whoever chooses to trust and follow him, the path to glory. And I know this is difficult, church. And this is why I thought that the best way to prepare our minds to see God's view of suffering is to pray, is to ask him for help. So what we're going to be doing right now is that there will be a prayer on the screen in a few moments, and I am going to read it aloud. 
And I want to invite all of you to the following. If you recognize that you need God to give you his view of suffering and that you need his help and strength to follow Jesus to the point of embracing suffering, can you please take your hand to your heart as a signal for God that you are choosing his thoughts and ways over your thoughts and ways? So put your hand in your heart, not if you are ready, not if you have the strength, but if you are asking God to help you to see suffering and to see life as he does. Let's do that whilst I read the prayer. <clears throat> God, I confess I fear suffering, but I decide to follow you to the end. You are worthy of it. God, be king of my mind, and with your love cast out all my fear. God, today I choose to see life your way, not my way. God, today I choose to see suffering and the cross as part of your plan of glory. God, in your infinite power and love, make your ways to be my ways and make your thoughts to be my thoughts. And God, when my strength will fail, because it will fail, help me to trust in your promise that your grace is sufficient for me. I choose to trust in you, my King, my Father, my Lord my Savior. In God's grace and through the Holy Spirit, we can grow more and more to see life and suffering like God does. He really wants to help us to get there. But let's, let's continue and let's see now how actually we can prepare our minds for action. And we're going to do this by reflecting on a question that I can assure you can be life-changing if you apply it. And I know that's a big statement, but I stand firm by it. This question is, what does God say about this? And what does God say about this is, by the way, the title of this message, but also the key takeaway. So if nothing else, please remember that we have been given a new identity as children of God and as exiles. And to live in a consistent way with this identity, we are encouraged, we are invited, we are exhorted to go through life asking ourselves, what does God say about this? And because of his great mercy, we can trust in whatever answer he gives to us. Let's keep pressing forward by seeing what does God say about our circumstances and about our actions. And what does God say about our circumstances? We generally find it easier to thank God and trust God in the good times than in the tough times. And as I was preparing this message, I really grew in conviction that God wants us to see more what He says about this tough topic of suffering. We need to wake up to a crucial concept, which is that our view of suffering is so different to God's view of suffering. God does not deny at all the pain of suffering. But what God says is that suffering for him is not something that we are to control, avoid, or escape from, but rather is something that we are to embrace as the path to glory. So we're going to be reading a few Bible verses that speak about this topic of suffering to see what God says about it. And please note, I am not expecting you to remember all these Bible verses. I don't myself. 
But what I really hope, what I plead to God is that by listening carefully to these Bible verses, you and I will get a truer sense of what God says about suffering. Let's begin. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The Lord delivers us from all our troubles. I don't know about you, but I find incredibly humbling to see what God says about suffering. I don't see it at all like he does. I don't think that none of us would do without God's help that's why we must prepare our minds by seeking God to see suffering in the way that he does. And the thing is that we are God's children and we trust in what God says about everything, including suffering. So, church, let's take this moment as an opportunity to rewrite our definition of suffering by adopting God's definition of suffering that is written in his never-fading and living word. And God really put this in my heart to say that if you are suffering today, and we all are, but if you are suffering in, in a way that feels very real to you right now, God wants to remind you that he sees you. He knows your pain. He cares about your pain. But not only that, God wants you to know, to remember that he sent his son to die for you, to suffer all the way for you. But also that that same son, Jesus, is ready and eager to walk all the way through your suffering. 
And not only that, that same Jesus is wanting, if you trust in him, to take you through your suffering into glory. God does not waste our sufferings, but turns evil into good. And he has done this again and again and again. And I believe God will want to do it again in your life if you trust in him. So let's move now to see what God says about our actions. And let's see another example from Peter's life. He was known as a man of action. And when Jesus was arrested by the Roman soldiers after he was betrayed by Judas, Peter acted in that situation by drawing up his sword and cutting off the ear of one of them. Peter acted in that situation out of impulse because he wanted to avoid suffering. But that was not the type of action that Jesus wanted from him because it was against God's plans. The reason why I'm bringing this example is that sometimes God will not be asking us to act or sometimes God will not want us to avoid suffering. Our question should not be, how do I avoid suffering? Our question should be, what does God say about this? What does God want me to do or not to do in this situation? And church, the thing is that our actions, they are arrows. Actually, I realized I skipped <laughs> that verse. That verse that we have on the screen is actually, if we go back to the previous slide, what Jesus said to Peter. Uh, in that situation, which is, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In essence, Jesus was saying to Peter, I need to do my Father's plans. And as I was saying, our actions, they are arrows. But if those arrows miss the target of being aligned with God's plans for our lives, then from God's perspective, we are literally wasting those actions. And missing the target is us doing things or rejecting to do things without first checking what does God say about this. And we have seen that we are God's family, that we are exiles, but also we are God's army. And we are in the middle of a spiritual warfare. God wants to bring those that are in darkness into eternal joy and salvation. But we also have an enemy that wants to keep those that are in darkness there in fear, in anxiety, without hope, and not temporarily, for eternity. So it's either eternal death and suffering or eternal joy and salvation. No middle point. And what does God say about this? that we are his army and that he has already achieved victory. So we are walking in victory. So church, let's act as who we are. We are God's children. That we should be asking ourselves, what does God say about my actions? How does God want me to use my time? Where I should be aiming my arrows? So let's act, yes, let's Fire arrows, yes, but let's first check with our chief commander, our Lord Jesus Christ, what does he say? If we do so, 
we will be mightily used by God to push away the forces of darkness, to bring liberation to the lost, to bring peace to the brokenhearted, to bring those that are heading towards eternal darkness into eternal joy and salvation. Like Maximus in the movie Gladiator said, brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. To recap, what we have seen is that to prepare our minds for action, we should ask ourselves, what does God say about this? And what God has said so far in summary is that He is a God of great mercy, hope, and salvation. That we are His children, that we are in exile, that we are His army. That our sufferings in Him are the path to glory. And that our actions can be mightily used by God to bring eternal hope and salvation to those that are heading into eternal death and suffering. I don't know about you, but I love listening to what God has to say. And we are coming now to the end of the message. And some of you may be thinking, hey, Andres, we have been reflecting a lot about preparing our minds for action, but what actions exactly should we do? Or, as uh, Elvis said, a little less conversation, a little, bit, a little more action, please. <laughs> and to that, what I say is that there's only one application point, one takeaway that I am asking you to bring with you into your hearts, which is ask yourselves, what does God say about this? What does the King of Kings say about it? about your next decision, about how you should be using your time, the things that you should get involved in, or the things that you should stop straight away. And if you want help reflecting those questions, please come. Myself and many others in this church, we would love to help you do that. And you actually you can come for prayer, and we can do that together. But just so that you know, what we'll be doing is listening to the King of Kings, because what he has to say is always perfect, it's always true, and it's always best. And because of his great mercy, we have a reason to hope in his answer, and we can always trust it. So, we're coming now to the end of the message, and we're going to be moving into a time of worship, so this is my not-so-subtle hint to the worship band to come to the stage. And final extra application point is, is that actually worship music it's a fantastic way to prepare our minds because they declare truths about who God is and who we are as his people. So every time that you sing or listen to a worship song, know that those lyrics do have power. We are being transformed by God's power and love through those lyrics. And that is yet another reason why coming to church together is so wonderful. When we worship God together, we are being transformed as one in Christ through his love and through his power. So church, let's worship this great God of mercy because he is worthy of our song and he is worthy of it all. May the God of great mercy bless you.
Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.